0: Listening to the Murder Speaks Podcast, the show that spills the tea about true crime. Here's your host, Wendy Hinbest. Hey, welcome back hope everybody had a good week and everybody is staying safe. So today's real crime story is about 19-year-old Brooke Baker from FinCES, Indiana. Brooke grew up in a low-income family. She was the first person in her family to go to university. In 1996, she was accepted into FinCES University for a two-year program in journalism. Brooke was an aspiring reporter She started writing for her high school newspaper, and she had dreams of working for a top-level newspaper. She was very ambitious. She became friends with Shauna. Shauna knew her from a piece she wrote in high school, and they're both from the same town. She remained close to her family, especially her younger brother, Bron. While going to university, she lives with her friend Jason while she looks for an apartment. She is casually seeing Steve, who she met at the university. Brooke wants to write a serious piece and decides to write a piece about fraternities. She wants to write a story about an alleged rape that was covered up. So she goes to her friend Jason to get information because he was part of a fraternity. So one night, Brooke and Shauna go to a fraternity party. But Brooke isn't there to have a good time. She is there to get information about the alleged rape. So she talks to people at the party to get information, and she finds out the name of the person and the contact information of the girl who was allegedly raped. She contacts the girl and sets up a time to be interviewed, but the girl changes her mind and doesn't want to be interviewed anymore. Brooke feels it's probably because she's getting pressure from the fraternity not to talk. She continues to dig for information. She rents a small house off campus in July 1997, and her landlord was a university police officer. Her brother, Braun, had a key to her house. In the evening of September 7, 1997, he showed up and let himself in. He called Brooke's name, but she didn't answer, and he noticed the bathtub was running and there were towels in the bathtub. He went into the bedroom and found Brooke deceased. She was found in the bed, stabbed in the back and the chest. So Braun called the police. Detective Greg Winkler arrived at the scene. There was no sign of forced entry and she was lying on a mattress on the floor and she was nude. It appeared to be a sexual assault. She had stab wounds in the chest and in the back. There was blood spatter on the wall. There was a towel in the bathtub and a bottle of bleach on the floor next to the bathtub. It appeared somebody was trying to clean it up. It appeared the murderer tried to hide the weapon. The police found a bloody knife buried under some dishes. Brooke's body is examined. It looks like she was raped. They collect a semen sample. The police talk to people who knew her. They talk to her brother and he tells the police that Brooke was seeing a guy named Steve. So the police bring Steve in for questioning. He tells police that he and Brooke were at a party the evening before her body was discovered. He claims he was still at the party when Brooke went home. They talk to Brooke's teacher and fellow students Shauna tells police that Brooke has been researching a story about a rape at a fraternity. When the fraternity found out about Brooke's story, they were furious. There was a note on her door telling her to stop writing the story. She was being threatened. One time, a bunch of the fraternity guys went to her house and started yelling at her. So the police began to interview all the fraternity guys, but Nothing. The police keep thinking about the fact that there was no forced entry. Which means Brooke probably knew the killer and let them in. Brooke confided to somebody once that she was worried about her landlord. He had a key to her house. She didn't like the fact that her landlord would frequently just show up at her house. Brooke would tell Shauna that she thought her landlord was creepy. He would show up without any warning. One time she had just come out of the shower and he was there, so the police questioned him. He tells the police that he was spraying for bugs, and he tells the police that he was working at night when she was murdered. But he would have to pass her house while he's working. But without any evidence, the police must let him go. The police begin to get frustrated because they have a lot of suspects but no evidence. But then, the DNA sequencing is complete. 137F is who the semen belongs to. The police collected the landlord's DNA, but it did not match. They collected Steve's DNA, but it did not match the 137F profile. They collected at least 65 guys from the fraternity, but none of them matched the 137F profile. Her parents are obviously upset and are left not knowing who was responsible for their daughter's death. I can't live without justice for Brooke. I can't go on with my own life. That's all I can think. I want justice. July 5th, 1999. Almost two years after Brooke's murder, Police get called to a violent attack. No evidence of force entry. Blood on the wall. Broken lamp, blood on a pair of shorts. The detective feels the scene is very similar to Brooks. The apartment belongs to 21-year-old Erica Norman. The police learn from friends that Erica spent the evening at a nearby bar. The detective calls the bar and asks about Erica Norman. They tell him that Erica was there with Brian Jones, who was a friend of Brooke Baker, and also Steve's roommate, the guy Brooke was dating before she was murdered. They realize that Brian never provided his DNA. He left before they could. But now that he's back in Fincés, the police bring him in for questioning. He tells police that he was at the bar with Erica. Then they went back to her place. He tells police that they watched a movie and she fell asleep and he left. He gives the police his DNA. But he doesn't know the police are collecting his DNA for Brooks' murder and the 137F profile. He knows the police don't have Erica Norman's body. And he thinks they're collecting his DNA for Erica's murder. The results come back, and it's a match. After interviewing Brian's friends and witnesses, the police try to piece together what might have happened to Brooke Baker. Brian was at a party about a block and a half from Brooke's house. He knocks on Brooke's door, and of course she lets him in because she knows him and trusts him. At some point, Brian wanted to have sex, and Brooke didn't. So he raped and killed her. Obviously, he couldn't just leave the body there, so we had to get rid of her. A week after charging Brian for Brooke's murder, Erica's body is found in a cornfield a few miles away in eastern Illinois. The police have enough evidence to charge him for Erica's murder. He pleads guilty to killing Erica, but denies killing Brooke. But... His DNA matches the 137F profile. He is found guilty and sentenced to life without parole. This poor girl, she was only 19 years old. She was just beginning her life. And then she was brutally murdered by Brian Jones. He's where he needs to be. Okay, people, thank you so much for listening to my show. If you like it, please share it. Sharing is caring. And if you are a true crime addict like me, check out my store, crystalkiss.com. That's Crystal with a K for some murder merch. I sell t-shirts, hoodies, and leggings. I just released my summer collection of true crime tank tops. So check them out. Check out my book, Masquerade of Lies, available on Amazon. I am writing another book called Sin of Darkness, so stay tuned for that. Thanks again for listening. Have a great week, and please stay safe out there. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks. Bye.